What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Kind of demoing here with y'all. As always, coming to y'all here from Louisville, Kentucky. A big show up on deck today. Just before we hit record here, both Queens and Navy announced their 2023 schedules. We'll also take a fall snapshot look at the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And we will also uh, have a little schedule discussion, schedule conversation here. Um, and we'll, and that'll kind of be on the back half of our schedule preview uh, portion there with both Navy and Queens. Uh, let's get right into things here with a fall snapshot of Notre Dame. And look, this is a team last year that, um, and, and that we've heard a lot about through the offseason as should have won the uh, or should have made the NCAA tournament. They seen a lot of people feel was uh, slighted by the NCAA uh, tournament selection committee. A lot of people felt that way on Selection Sunday. A lot of people uh, still feel that way to this day. Uh, this is a Notre Dame team that uh, rattled off six wins to end the season. Uh, that included uh, that win over Duke there, uh, the final game of the year, and. Uh, this is a Notre Dame team that from that squad brings back pretty good chunk of players. And it's a team that I think is going to be pretty good once again here in 2023. Uh, you can always count on Kevin Corrigan having a solid squad there in South Bend. Looks like that's going to be the case once again here this spring. Um, and really with Notre Dame, there's not that many questions that I said bring back a lot of talent from last season. Uh, you look at, at the Kavanaugh brothers, especially Eric Dobson on uh, at the midfield spot. You look at Liam Intiman in cage. You have Will Lynch back at the faceoff dot. I, I really don't see many areas of this team where you should be that concerned of they, they lose this guy. How are they going to replace them? They have a hole here, hole there. Um, honestly, for me, there are two really only two big question marks in my mind for this Notre Dame team heading into the 2023 season. One of those is on defense. And you could maybe say it's um, four question marks if you'd want to put it that way. But I just put defense on kind of one category here with Notre Dame as they lose Arden Cohen, Jason Reynolds, Matt Douglas, who were those starting uh, three defensemen there throughout uh, the back half of the season. Carson Cochran got injured, remember, and Matt Douglas moved from Ellison to uh, close. Uh, and then they also was uh, Hollenbeck at the short stick defensive midfield spot. So they lose some big pieces from that offense once again, uh, excuse me, from that defense once again. And look, as we've seen before, uh, Kevin Corrigan, they, they lose big defensive pieces. And as they've done for the past few seasons now, what do they do? They go to the transfer portal, and they get some big-time pickups there. Chris Fake coming out of Yale as a grad transfer, as well as Brian Tevlin, a guy who we've talked about multiple times in this podcast, is a two-way player, uh, was probably one of the better two-way players in the country last season, certainly in the Ivy League. Uh, true two-way midfielder there that can impact the game offensively and defensively. And then you also have got Chris Cohen, the grad transfer coming from Holy Cross. So 
Chris Tate coming in is, is a huge, huge get for this Notre Dame squad, as well as Conlin, as well as Tevlin. And those are the three biggest transfers there at the uh, at the defensive end there at close defense where they need to replace the most. Um, and, uh, you know, Liam Entman is still there in the cage. He's going to anchor this defense again. You, you trust him. You know what he can do. I think, you know, Notre Dame, we've seen them kind of rebuild these defenses the past, you know, two, uh, two years now. Um, not full rebuilds like this one, but they've rebuilt it to an extent there um, with plugging and playing different transfers at those close defensive spots each of the past two seasons. And uh, I, th I think Notre Dame can do it once again. And then you also have to look at guys like Ross Bergmaster, Bergmaster, Jose Boyer, guys who are back there at pole, who've played a little close, played a little LSM throughout their career. You got to look at those guys uh, to step in and, and possibly be in contention there for that third uh, starting spot at close. But uh, the duo of Colin and Fake is a tremendous, tremendous get here for Notre Dame in the transfer portal and should help them, uh, you know, loosen or lessen the pain that losing all those guys, especially Alden Cohen, a program guy, five-year player, losing a guy like him is you know, huge for this program, but getting fake and getting Conlon in there should help suppress the impact of that loss. And then, as I mentioned, Brian Tevlin, a guy that can go both ways, and you're ready to see him in the gold helmet uh, going both ways as an impact guy there could replace uh, or help replace what they lose there at the midfield, especially defensive midfield-wise. Um, and then when you also look at Liam Entman and Cage and you have confidence in him. So honestly, a lot to uh, this Notre Dame defense, a lot to replace. But I think at the end of the day, um, it, it's still a unit that I'm going to be pretty confident in. And until they show me something else, I'm not going to waver in that because this is a Notre Dame defense that continuously, doesn't matter who's there, year in and year out, Notre Dame has great defenses. That's continued after Jerry Bones' exit, obviously now the head coach at Harvard, but that's continued uh, since he left as D.C., and uh, I, I think that should continue here in 2023. The other uh, big question mark that is there with this Notre Dame team is at the attack spot, that third attack spot especially. Um, Jake Taylor came in, had 27 goals in the final six games of the season, and He's a guy that, you know, had came back midseason from an injury and, and, and really, as I said, 27 goals made a tremendous impact there with this Notre Dame offense with that attack unit. And you've got Chris and Pat Cavanaugh there as well. Pat Cavanaugh is going to be your, your ex-attackman once again. Chris Cavanaugh, an incredible, incredible player in his own right. The brother-to-brother -brother connection there is, is very, very strong. And you like what you see in that. Jake Taylor, though, I mentioned, implemented about midseason and played the rest of the way, had 27 goals, including six against Duke and eight against Syracuse, the first game he started. Absolutely tremendous, tremendous season for, for him. He's out right now, and he's probably going to be coming back midseason again. 
tore his ACL in the offseason once again. And, uh, you know, wish him speed, a speedy recovery and hope to see him out there as soon as possible. But until he gets back, and look, maybe he comes back and he's not 100%. Uh, but, you know, you're going to have a situation where you have to find that third attacker in there. Uh, when you look at the guys returning, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Riccardelli, the sophomore, uh, had five goals last season, was mainly on the man up unit. He's a guy that you could easily put in there. His brother, a highly ranked goalie uh, recruit coming in this year as well. And then you also look at Griffin Westland and at Bryce Walker, two other guys who saw starts at that, uh, two guys that saw starts at that third attack spot, that lefty attack spot there for the Irish last season. This is an attack unit that has some holes there and has some question marks that it, it, we're going to have to see what sticks. Um, and then also there's a little bit of that at the midfield unit as well. Um, when you look at Wheaton Jacker boys gone uh, as one of the top midfielders, I mentioned Eric Dobson is back and, and he, that's a tremendous, tremendous piece to get back for them. I'm a big Eric Dobson fan. He's been fantastic throughout his career the Notre Dame thus far. And then uh, when you look at uh, uh, Jack Simmons coming in, the transfer from Virginia, and then Brian Tevlin, who I mentioned, a two-way guy. Uh, he can be a threat, uh, a serious threat, offensively and defensively. So uh, he helps in that regard as well. But for Notre Dame, really, this is a team that uh, is going to be pretty good next year. And a lot of people, uh, because of how last year ended for them, and because of the snub that many people think they had. Uh, this is a team that most people, and you've heard this throughout the offseason of, you know, if Notre Dame was in that tournament, uh, things might be a little differently, right? Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe they would have challenged Maryland. Maybe they would have done this, done that. Um, th that's in the past. That's in the past. You've got to block that out. But at the same time, you know, this was a good team last year, and they do return a lot of talent from that team. So. And especially when you look at guys like like the Kavanaugh brothers, Pat and Chris there, and when you look at what Will Lynch can do as a sophomore at the faceoff dot, when you look at what this defense can be if they play at the best of their ability with Fake and Conlin and William Mintzman and Cage, this is a team that has a lot of really, really good pieces. And this is a team that at the end of the day could be a championship weekend team. Now, I know we say that every single year with Notre Dame, and this is a team that a program that has not been a championship, championship weekend since 2014, I believe. And they have got to get that off their backs. It, and look, this is one of the programs when people ask me, who is the next team to win a title for the first time? It's Notre Dame. That's the number one team that always comes to mind. Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame. This is a team I think this year, they're talented enough to make championship weekend, just as they are every other year. But they've got to show it. And look, last season, they lost to Maryland. They lost to Georgetown. You know, they lost to those teams earlier in the season that really pushed them back. And that those losses, as you know, those losses pushed them back as well as the Virginia loss and held them out ultimately of the NCAA tournament. You've got to win those games. And you can say all you want. Well, even with the losses, they should, still should have won and this and that. And they lost to Ohio State as well. But like, this is a, a, a program that, that, that they're good. They're good every single year, and they're going to be good again this year. The thing for me is like Notre Dame. I, yes, you have the talent. We, we've gone over that. We go over this every year. 
You have to win the games that matter. And yes, they ended last season on a six-game winning streak. That's fantastic. Beat Duke twice. That, that's fantastic. Here's the thing, though. Lose to Maryland, lose to Georgetown, lose to Ohio State. And the Georgetown game, remember, I mean, they pushed it like a little bit late, but it wasn't that close at a point during that game. And Georgetown kind of ran away from them. Um, they've got to put together a more complete season than they have in the past and certainly than they did last year. But, but again, this is a Notre Dame team, as I say every year. Ton of potential. We just have to see if they put it together here. And, uh, same, you know, New Year, same tune here with Notre Dame. Obviously, they got the question marks there at, at the attack spot at the midfield. And then certainly looking to see what that defense is going to look like holistically. Um, but but I think overall this is going to be a fairly good team. Once again, uh, we'll see if they can prove exactly how good they are and, and come spring, and we can see if this is a team that can break that streak and get back to championship weekend since uh, for the first time since 2014. All right, now moving on to our schedule previews today, we're going to look at. Queens and Navy, who both released their schedules today. And uh, for those watching on the YouTube channel, uh, actually, this is a good segue part here, right? Uh, YouTube, you can watch the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast on YouTube. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, really wherever you get your podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, helps us grow the channel helps us grow the podcast overall. And then if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave the five-star review like so many have before you. I believe you can also leave reviews on a couple other platforms as well. But uh, getting into these schedule previews, we are going to pull up, for those watching on YouTube, uh, the uh, schedules in front of y'all so you can see and follow along. So let's get this going you screen share okay hopefully it's working you should be able to see the screen right about now yes you can see the screen right about now all right good so let's get get going here with queens and this is a queens team that their first season in college lacrosse as a Division I program. They went 12-5 and five last year, 7-3 and three in the SAC. They fell in the title game to uh, Division II powerhouse Limestone. This is an interesting schedule. It's the second ASUN schedule that we've had released this year following Jacksonville, um, who released those back in, was it September or October? One of those two months. It's it's been a while. It seems like it's pretty late for all these schedules to be coming out, but hey, I'm happy to have them. Um, interesting schedule here for Queens. They open the season on the road in Annapolis at Navy. You begin your Division One stretch at one of the most historic venues in Division One lacrosse. That's exciting for this Queens team. They will then play VMI at home. That's the Division One home opener there on February 10th. They then travel to Hampton on the 19th of February. And then we'll see uh, 
a neutral site game in Baltimore. I'm not exactly sure where in Baltimore, uh, but against Wagner there uh, on the 25th. That ends the month of February for this Queens squad, the Royals, as they're known. Uh, then on March 7th, you'll see them play at High Point. It's the only in-state team they play all year. Queens is in Charlotte, North Carolina. You've got Duke, North Carolina, High Point, all within distance there, obviously. Um, and we'll talk about this a little bit. Uh, they're only playing High Point, obviously, this year. They scrimmaged Duke in the uh, fall uh, there in Durham. Duke breaking with tradition and, and getting a, a little scrimmage in there. Um, so that is the last game for Queens, that High Point game on the road, which should be a tough test for them, uh, is the last game there before they begin A-Sun play. And uh, A-Sun play begins for Queens at home against an Air Force squad that's going to be pretty good again this year. They will then travel to Bellarmine and Lindenwood in a little wrinkle here. That uh, Lindenwood game is a midweek game, I believe. Uh, one, one of the two of those are. Let me pull up my calendar here real quick so I can be 100% sure with y'all. Uh, yes. The Lindenwood game is a uh, midweek game there on the 29th. That's a Wednesday game. And then they uh, are off that weekend. Oh, excuse me, not off that weekend. Off. Um, they then go on Saturday the 1st and play uh, Detroit Mosey. So they're here in Louisville against Bellarmine and then head to St. Charles, Missouri, right outside uh, St. Louis uh, to play Lindenwood. Then they are against Queen. They are against Detroit Mosey uh, at home. Queens is. And then they hit the road again on the 8th uh, to play Jacksonville. And then they've got another you know, double dip week there uh, at home against Cleveland State and at home against Robert Morris on the 12th and the 15th. They're at Mosey on the 22nd. And they are at home against Utah to end the regular season Queens is. Let me pull this back real quick. There we go. Hope you all can see me again. Um, the kind of the, the, the big games that, that I'm circling here is, is obviously the Navy game. It's their division one opener, uh, the high point game. I think that's going to be interesting to see how Queens stacks up against a high point team uh, that, you know, does lose some big pieces, but should still be a quality uh, team there and is one of the better uh, teams in the mid-major uh, sect of college lacrosse, certainly there in the A-10 now. Uh, the Air Force game is going to be a big one for them, uh, a, a conference opener, a sun opener, and then at Lindenwood, that is a uh, Division II jumper versus a Division II jumper. That's going to be a marquee game there of the a sun slate this spring, that Queens at Lindenwood game there on March 29th. Um, and I, I do think that stretch there, uh, when you look at it from uh, March 25th through April 15th, that month stretch there, that's going to be important for Queens. Um, and remember, the ASUN, they have no rules against playing in the postseason. So Queens and Lindenwood, like Bellarmine did in basketball last year, can make, and I believe in this year, with still the, you know, the four-year probation when you move up, that you can't play in the NCAA postseason. 
conferences can make their own decisions. The NEC, as we saw with Merrimack, couldn't do it. The American East, they still can't do it. Um, this is the last year of that. With the ASUN, uh, Ted Gumbert, the commissioner of the ASUN, he thinks that that rule is stupid. I would agree with him. Um, and so Lindenwood and Queens can make the postseason. Now, are they going to be a Utah or a Jacksonville or a Robert Morris? You know, never say never, but I, I don't really think so. I think those are going to be the teams that are going to beat up on everybody in the ace on this year, uh, no matter what, right? So at Bellarmine, at Lindenwood, at home against, against Detroit Mercy, and then at home against Cleveland State. Those are the games that I'm really looking at in terms of like, okay, where does this Queens team stack up? And those opponents uh, with Lindenwood as well are also going to be the ones where I'm looking at and saying, okay, how does this team stack up here? How do they stack up there against kind of that middle of the road in the A Sun, which is where they should be the most competitive um, or, 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 or could be the most competitive in the first season as a Division One. Obviously, the Wagner, the Hampton game uh, will also be games where, where you look at and see, okay, are they bottom barrel or are they, you know, a little bit better than that? Um, and, you know, you like to see that a team can make that jump and, and be very successful right away. Um, and, and those games are going to be ones where we look at and uh, see exactly uh, where Lindenwood is, or where, uh, Queens and Lindenwood are here in 2023 as a first-year D1 program. Now, moving on to Navy's schedule, let me get this uh, back up here. Share screen. Hopefully, y'all can see that. Okay, there we go. Yeah, y'all can see that as well. All right, 2023 schedule breakdown, Navy. The midshipmen, obviously, coming off a season last year, nine and six overall, five and three in the Patriot League, four in the Patriot League, quarterfinals to Lehigh. Um, and this is honestly, I mean, this is this is a very similar schedule to what Navy had last year. Uh, they just swapped out, and I'll, even, I'll scroll down here with this. New opponents, Queens. Teams dropped uh, Mosa. They didn't didn't change much, right? Uh, they opened the season uh, with, with Mount St. Mary's once again. And uh, remember, that's a team that upset Navy last season. Uh, you know, you, you, you can bet your bottom dollar that uh, Navy is going to want to get back at that one. They will then play uh, Queens there on that Sunday night, as we mentioned, uh, with the uh, last schedule that we just previewed. And then uh, we've talked about the Navy Hofstra game as well, uh, previewing Hofstra's schedule there on fe on February 11th. Uh, that's going to be an exciting one. I think both those programs have a lot of potential here in 2023. Uh, Navy is at home against Manhattan, and then they hit the road against High Point last year. That was a 14-13 High Point win. I'm excited about this matchup. I am excited 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 about this matchup because this is a um a game that last year was a one goal game and i think it could be another uh you know high-ish scoring game here both these offenses uh should be pretty good you got 
a new offensive coordinator there uh, in Annapolis. And I, I think this is going to be a, a, a game that is probably going to test Navy and High Point. Um, and we'll see what High Point's schedule looks like. But with Navy's schedule, certainly this should be their biggest test. Um, and right before Patriot League play, that's very, very important for them to get that in there. Um, they open the Patriot League season against against Lehigh again, Navy does, on March 4th. And I had, I didn't really know this until I was diving into this. So I, I guess I did, but I didn't you know. It's not something I think about when I wake up every day, right? Um, Navy has not beaten Lehigh in six games. They're 0-6 against Lehigh their last six meetings. That's from the 2018 postseason on. They have not beaten Lehigh since 2018. And they lost last year to them. And I think this is a Navy team. They lost them twice last year. Quarterfinals, they ended the se- they ended Navy season. I'm I'm circling that one, the Patriot League opener here. Could be an exciting one there. Um again, Phipps, the new OC there at, at Navy, uh Lehigh, they got a new OC. It's gonna be interesting to see what those offenses look like there in those games. Um Navy then travels to Colgate on the eleventh. Then the uh the big one, the big non-conference games are the, the, the big one, especially John Hopkins, uh, 317, March 17th. That is another Friday night game. And if you remember last year, Navy went into Homewood. They beat John Hopkins at Homewood for the first time since 1969. And, um, yeah, I mean, both these teams are going to be motivated to come into this one once again, Hopkins especially. Expect a uh, strong game. Expect an exciting game here again for that one. 321 against Villanova there. That's at Villanova. Uh, should be an interesting one for these two squads. Um, both very, very uh, competitive teams. Both, I, I think, should be contenders uh, for conference titles here in 2023. Um I'm sorry, I said earlier that, that Navy only added Queens. They did add Villanova, I believe, as well. Um, I'll have to edit that. I was not thinking right now. Uh, but, yes, they added Villanova as well. Um, Navy then gets back onto their conference slate after that little uh, stretch there. And let me see, is that a Friday? That That's the Friday-Sunday, right? When you are, so that's March 17th. Okay, that's, no, that's a Friday, Tuesday. That's right. Villanova is a midweek game. I don't have the dates, the days on here, but um, I do on my spreadsheet, but not on this one, on the post. Um, Holy Cross, they will play there on 325, March 25th, getting back into Patriot League play. And then you've got Boston U, obviously one to circle, the uh, Patriot League, reigning Patriot League champions coming to Annapolis. You've got Loyola. That next week, you're at Loyola. Uh, those are going to be the two uh, biggest, uh, I mean, like biggest, so biggest games of that stretch for, for Navy, uh, this kind of late season stretch outside of the Army game are going to be Boston U and Loyola. Um, very excited to see what those games look like. Um, and like, again, this is a Navy team I think is going to be much improved. So 
you know, we'll see how they handle their, obviously, Boston U is returning to everybody from that great team last season. I expect them to not run away with things that they did a year ago. I think the Patriot League should be better, but, you know, I think they're, they're probably better than Navy. Um, Oyola, a team, they, they're trying to bounce back as well from uh, up and down year. Also, there, uh, Navy will then have Lafayette at home on the 15th. We'll have Army at home on the 22nd and close the season on April 28th on the road at Bucknell. Um, and it's been a pretty interesting game between those two the past couple of years. Obviously, the headlining games for uh, this Navy schedule, obviously, Army is the, 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 the biggest one uh, among them. It's the greatest one that we see them play every year. It was an overtime thriller last season. Circle that one on your calendar. Um, not once, not twice, but do it three times because that is a low-key game of the season, not just in the Patriot League, but across college, across. It's the 103rd meeting here for Navy and Army, or Army and Navy, however the heck you want to say it. Um, it's going to be a battle just like it is every single year. The high point game, I think is the most impactful early season game. The Hopkins game, the most important uh, non-conference game on, on kind of the back half of that schedule. Villanova is going to be an interesting matchup as well. Um, I don't know how many times Navy and Villanova have played. I'm going to have to go look at that. Uh, but, I mean, that's going to be an interesting one in what both of those teams bring back, uh, especially defensively um, and, and offensively as well. Um, they're and then, uh, obviously, the uh, Lehigh, Loyola, Boston U, those are battles against teams that, um, frankly, that are uh, some of the best of the best in the Patriot League, and, and those are the battles that are going to help decide the Patriot League tournament, uh, as they do every single year. Um, and then, uh, as every year, uh, don't count out you know, Colgate making an upset um, or Something like that. Lafayette, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Patriot League is always, always interesting. Now, getting into here, last segment of the show today, talking about scheduling still. And not in the way that we just did of breaking down some schedules. The way we're talking about this is in uh, the terrible schedules that we've seen. And I'm going to start this by going to the ASUN. And this is actually, it's funny this came out today, the Queen scheduled it, because I was talking to someone about this earlier um, in, in the day, actually, this morning about the ASUN schedule and just how terrible it is. Um, and you saw that with, with Queen's schedule. We've seen it with Jacksonville's schedule. Nine conference games, nine. Now, yes, the Patriot League has eight. That's eight. That's not nine. I think eight is maybe too much, but it, you know, it's still a solid schedule. Um, in, in a sport where you can only have 15 games, um, which I think like 15 is the max, right, uh, that you can have. And um, I, I, I just nine, – nine conference games, nine conference games. It, 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 it's not – like that's not good. That's not good for anybody. So There's 10 teams in the ASUN. And I, I put on Twitter today after this Queen schedule came out, I was like, you know, we now have two ASUN schedules out. And for me, 
I'm more convinced now than ever that the ASL needs to go to divisions. If they're going to keep all those teams in there, they've got to go to divisions. Unless you're going to lose some or whatever, go to divisions. Do five and five. And I did a little, like, played around with a map today, and it, it, it's difficult geographically. You've got, you know, Bellarmine, Jacksonville, Queens, and most of all your four southern teams. You've got, you know, Robert Morris, Cleveland State, Detroit, most of you are basically on a line there up in the, uh, you know, Midwest or uh, the, in, in the case of Robert Morris, like the far eastern part, or the far western part, excuse me, of Pennsylvania, which is still the northeast of Pennsylvania, but it's practically the Midwest. Um, all throughout the Rust Belt, I guess I could say, there is where you have those teams are part of it, right? And then you've got Utah and you've got Air Force out on an island in uh, no man's land out in the West. So we have three conference schedules out in the ASN right now. Utah released those earlier this year. Um, one of the uh, seven that have done so thus far. Uh, so three out, not two, as I said. But um, I mean, and then Lindenwood's just kind of, they're there. Like, they're, like who are you going to get to go to, go to basically St. Louis? Like, who are you going to get to go out there to play you on like a yearly basis? Like, that's tough. That's tough. Like, I think the closest team is uh, Detroit Mosey, maybe, maybe Bellarmine. I don't know. How far is it from like where I'm sitting right now to St. Louis? Let, let, let's look that up. To St. Louis from, from where I'm sitting right here. From where I'm sitting, and by the way, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. Bellarmine's also here in Louisville, Kentucky. Six hours. It's a six hour drive from here, from where I'm sitting right now. And Bellarmine is 15 minutes minutes down down uh, you know, I, I, uh, 64. Um, I mean, we you got six hours. Like that's your closest team. And like that's part of lacrosse and, and that's part of the growth and you have these growing pains and we've got to fill in some of those gaps. Uh, but, but again, back to the ace on schedule. Nine conference games, nine conference games, really? That limits you. That limits you. That limits the amount of non-conference games you can play. And I said we talked about, about Queens here later, and we are now. Um, I would love to see Queens be able to go play Duke and North Carolina and the regular season. You know, like I would love to see them do that on a yearly basis. I would love to see all those North Carolina schools play everybody. But, they, but they, I mean, Queens, like if you already have if Duke and Carolina, everybody wants to play those teams. So, like, their schedule is probably booked for a year, maybe two years out, two, three years out. You know, we're not college football here booking things for 30, 35. But, I mean, they book them in advance, in these home and homes and all of that. When you only have, you know, four or five slots to have a non-conference game, um, that's tough. That That's tough to fill. And it, it hurts the A-Sun because these teams aren't going to be able to get these big games every single year. Now, Jacksonville is very lucky. They got Duke and they got Hopkins to come down to Jacksonville, down to the Rock this year in that home-and-home -home, uh, game from last season. They got a home-and-home -home with them. That's fantastic that they were able to get that. And Jacksonville was able to do that. Utah has been able to get some really good teams to come play them. Uh, and Utah, you have Air Force, you have Denver out west as well. Those are three really good programs. 
But with the majority of the Sun, they're kind of out on these little islands. And when you only have non-conference games, that's very tough uh, to fill with really good competition. You know, when you look at teams like St. Joe's, when you look at teams like a Richmond, who are competitive every single year, um, and I think Richmond's probably a better example, um, who's been competitive multiple years in a row now in the NCAA tournament. Why is that? Because they schedule tough. They can go play. They can go play uh, Virginia. They can go play Duke every year. They they've played Notre Dame. Like they go play these teams every single year in their non-con. And then your conference, you've also got High Point that's doing the same thing. And Jacksonville, who you know, was a SoCon member, and now uh, you know all of those the SoCon is broken up. But like Jacksonville was in that boat a little bit as well uh, last season, especially with Hopkins and Duke, and they played them again this year. I mean. You've got to make you you've got to make room in the scheduling for the good non-con games, or that's going to end up hurting your conference overall. You can't have non-conference games in a season. That's not going to work. If you want, and look, I'm not saying the ASUN is going to get a, a a you know a two-bid league, right? But like, look, if you have a year where maybe Utah has uh, has a bunch of wins over some teams, right, and you have Jacksonville that wins the let's say you know Utah beat Virginia Duke and, and whoever it is so, so like if a Utah or Jacksonville has a high point 2019 type season they're going to get left out every single time because and let's say they don't even have the loss to St. John's let's say they just don't win their conference tournament they they might get left out for an Ivy or a Patriot League team that has you know better wins in conference and out of conference than they do because that's just the fact of the matter. You play non-conference games, and that's nothing against those other teams in the league uh, because they can certainly get better, and they can certainly, you know, and you're playing in Utah, a Jacksonville, and Air Force every single year. That's great, and you're going to be able to get better. The Queens, the Lindenwoods, the Moses, the Bellamans, the Detroit Moses, Cleveland State, you're going to get better playing those teams every year. But, but when you really look at it, what's best for the league is to have good non-conference games and especially to have your best programs playing high-profile non-conference games because that is going to help you in the long run in the NCAA tournament selection process. The Atlantic 10, that's the best mid-major conference in the country right now. And in my, my, you know, as far as I'm concerned, um, and and when you're looking at true mid-majors, like uh, you've got St. Joseph's, you've got Richmond, you've got High Point, you've got Hobart, you got UMass, that's a strong, strong conference. That could be a better conference than the Patriot League in some years. Like, honestly, it could. Um, no, the A-Sun is not that. The A-Sun is not that. Yes, they have a Jacksonville. They have Utah. They have Air Force. But those teams are going to have to have those big-time non-con games. And it's going to be difficult to get those uh, every single year because you have non-conference games. And it's tough. It's tough. And, and again, it, it hurts the conference more than maybe uh, hurts the conference and hurts the top end teams maybe more. But still, as a conference, you want what's best for your league. You want your league to be put in the best spot to not only, uh, you, you know, make the NCAA tournament, which they will with the auto bid, but also compete in the NCAA tournament. You know, uh, if the ASON, I mean, look, they're probably going to be a play-in team. Uh, whoever wins that league. Um, and look, if Jacksonville beats Duke, beats Hopkins, should they be a playing team? 
if Utah beats Hopkins, beat, beats Rutgers, should they be a playing team? I no, I, I don't know. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how things how things shake out. But I I just really don't like the way that the A Suns are doing the scheduling. I think they need to go to divisions or pods or figure something out. Figure something out where you play maybe, you know, three three teams the same every year, something like that. And you know, like what the ACC is doing in football where they have the pods. Figure something out that is better for your conference as a whole. And look, it's it's the first year with the 10 teams. I'm sure things will get better. They have time to figure it out. But I, you know, if if they decide to stick with this, man, it's it's gonna be. I'm 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 not a fan of it right now, and I'm certainly not gonna be a fan if they decide to stick with this. Um, on to the ACC, and someone had had mentioned to me the other day, and this is really what kind of sparked this kind of conversation is: Would Notre Dame have made the tournament if they didn't play every ACC twice? I don't know. And the fact, and like what they coupled that with was if Notre Dame did not play every ACC twice and won the ACC tournament, do they make the conference tournament? Do they make the NCAAs? Yeah, they probably do. They, they probably do. You can't leave the ACC tournament champion out. And look, even though the ACC tournament has no bearing, they had no bearing, right? Because they have no auto bid. And so I get why they got rid of it. But I think going to playing teams twice has only hurt them. And look, you're gonna beat you're gonna be the crap out of each other every single year. And that's always been the case. And it's even more so the case now that you're playing certain teams twice. I think the ACC needs to go back to playing teams once. Just go back to the old format. You can bring in the tournament or get rid of the tournament. I don't care. Just do like, and and, and I would even say probably for the ACC's sake, getting the tournament back is probably best. Now, I will say this: the ACC last year, I think that was a year that we're not going to see for a while, where the ACC has a year like they did, and where the Ivy League has a year like they did, where they take away those bids that the ACC might have otherwise got. However, in the best interest of the ACC, and as I said with the ASUN, you have to do what's in the best interest of your conference. The ACC is the best conference in college across and has been for a while. You can argue the Big Ten or the Ivy has surpassed them in certain years. That's fine. But holistically, the ACC is the best team in college across. They recruit the best. They win the most championships. They've made the most championship weekend appearances. All of that. You have got to do what's best for your conference what's best for your product and what is best for your product is to not beat the crap out of each other two times a year we don't need two tobacco road showdowns we need one we don't need two duke syracuse games we need one we don't need two old south rivalries with virginia and north carolina we need one one go back to playing teams one time a year and you can get maybe some better non-conference matchups in there as well. And look, with the A-Sun, I mentioned that the, I would love to see Duke and Carolina. Duke, Carolina, Queens, High Point should all play each other every single year. If they get rid of, if they go back the old way and the A-Sun does what they do, if they go back uh, to, to what they had, um, or not go back, I guess, but, but go 
down in the number of conference games, that can help both. That can help that situation. And I've talked to multiple people who've said, man, I hate that Queens can't play these teams this year. And I get maybe they, they, they weren't able to do this in, in year one, but they're going to do it down the road. But, you know, man, it, it, it seems like there's a lot of missed opportunities being had out here in scheduling right now with the way the ACC has done things. And we'll see how the ACC does it this year. We haven't seen any ACC schedules yet, uh, but, uh, you know, just, just, just pray they went back to normal or, or, or heading back that way at least in 24 because I, I don't like what they did last year. I think it hurt them. I understood it in 2021 when you had all the stupid protocols that you really didn't need to have and all of that. But, um, you know, I, I understood it. And, you know, to, to keep that in place, I, I'm just not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of the, of the nine uh, non-conference games in the ASUN. I think these are just things that are just going to continue to hurt the game. And I think what the MAC, they have 10 now as well. So please, like, it, it, once you get to 10 conference teams, once you get to 10 teams, you go to divisions. You go to divisions. Once you hit 10, you go to divisions. That's what you do. That's what should happen. The NEC did it for that one year, and they didn't get to have it because the season had to get shut down or whatever. You know? Um, go to divisions. If you're a league that has 10 or more teams, go to divisions. That is what needs to happen. Okay? It needs to happen. Not doing that, I think, is a detriment to the sport in many, many ways. That is a, uh, a long rant there to end today's podcast. Again, thank you all for tuning in. As always, you can connect with us on social media at Lacrosse Bucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season. You can listen to the lacrosse podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcast. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you all here again on Tuesday.